it's appropriate as we start a new series called Summer in the Psalms, that as we look at the songs of the Bible, that this first sermon anyway will have quite a few other songs and poems. This is uh, now classified as a classic rock song, I suppose, which is sad because it's one of my favorite albums of all time, and I don't want to be in the classic category yet, but I am. And this song is really classic because it sings about this tension that so many of us feel, whether Christian or not, this tension of desire and contentment, this tension between faith and disbelief, a tension between what maybe G.K. Chesterton would have referred to as a divine discontentment. He sings about almost, we're doing this Bible study, men's Bible study on Ecclesiastes. It feels very Ecclesiastes-like, a searching for something through all these different things, even faith believing in it, and yet still searching. And that's a tension that I think we all feel if we're honest with ourselves. Gerald May says this in his book, The Awakened Heart. He says, There is a desire within each of us, in the deep center of ourselves, that we call our heart. We were born with it. It is never completely satisfied, and it never dies. We are often unaware of it, but it is always awake. Our true identity, our reason for being is to be found in this desire. 
as humans, we are conscious of our desires in a way that no other animals are. And we wrestle with them all the time. Too often we thirst for the things of this world to satisfy those desires. And we desire those things maybe even more so than God. Too often we, we numb ourselves out or distract ourselves rather than feel the pain of the suffering which comes with living in a broken world. We might be even afraid to allow ourselves to feel that because we fear that that suffering, that sense of suffering will drive us from faith in God. And as a result, we often find ourselves hoping in other things rather than God. And what we're going to see in today's passage in Psalm 42 and 43, which is meant to be one unit, is this. It's simply this. Thirst for God, cry out to God, hope in God. Thirst for God, cry out to God, hope in God. Let me pray and then we'll dive into today's passage. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have these desires within us. We don't always know what to do with them. We don't always know whether they're good or bad. And yet, Lord, you have made us in your image. You have made us with desires. May this passage speak to those desires and how we are to wrestle with them, acknowledge them, and live in them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 42 and 43, again, is, is, was most likely written as, as one psalm, one song, and no one really knows when it became divided into these two psalms. But even as you heard it read, you could hear the flow and this refrain that was repeated twice in Psalm 42 and then 43 ends with the same refrain. And I'm not going to read through the passages again, but just kind of look at them section by section. But in the first section, which we see this thirst for God is verses 1 through 5. And you need to hear kind of the narrative that the psalmist is singing and crying, crying out to God in this. this. He begins in this first section of describing how he, he feels away from God. That he's thirsting for God as he feels that absence. That it is to the point where he's crying tears day and night as he feels that absence of God. And he even hears taunting from enemies or saying, where is your God? And these particularly hit home because perhaps he wonders that himself. And he, he remembers the days of being in the presence of God, worshiping God in Jerusalem, even leading the people of God in worship. Now, if you think about your own walk of faith, your own journey as a worshiper, you could perhaps relate to a feeling of feeling distant from God feeling God's absence, perhaps even remembering back to, I remember when I was 21, how on fire for God I was, how close to God I felt. And our hearts break when we feel that, right? Where we feel like, where did that vigor, that passion go for God? Why do I feel so far for him right now? And in this case, the psalmist seems to be trying to bring encouragement to himself, to, to remember back those times of leading God's people in worship. And yet it's feeling like a discouragement instead. It's feeling like, where are you, God? Why can I not go back to that place? And so we see this theme of, of, of his longing expressed as thirst, a thirst for God. Someone once said that you can't get enough of what you don't really want. You can't get enough of what you don't really want. It's just this idea of like, if we don't find the thing that our souls really need and we 
settle on other things. We'll just keep wanting just a little bit more of that other thing. And so the idols of this world, when they're detached from our worship of God, become these things that can, we can never get enough of. It will feel like we still haven't found what we are looking for. Author Gil Bailey says this, We come into the world longing, for we know now that we are desire, and desire is good, for it takes us to God, but our desire is not hardwired to God. Desire is good, for it takes us to God, but our desire is not hardwired to God. We've been told as Christians so often to be afraid of our desires, that our desires are sinful, that we must be wary of our desires. And of course there's truth to that because we are broken, because we have sin and our desires could be sinful and lead us astray. And yet at the very same time, our desires are what lead us to God. No, we are not born into this world hardwired to have our desires lead us to God. And yet if we kill our desires, then we will not find God either. God made us with desires. But let's think about what the psalmist is saying here and make just a literal application. And I want to ask you this simple question. Do you want to be here right now? Which is ironic because someone as I walked in the door today said to me, I don't want to be here. Which I appreciate him being so honest with me. Sometimes we don't. And we, we come anyway. But do you want to be here? Do you thirst for God? The psalmist here is expressing this longing to be the worshiper before God in God's presence amongst God's people to worship. And he's expressing this, the specialness of worship. The specialness of worshiping together with God's people. And I think the reality is, and more and more so maybe in our modern day culture, is we have a low view of worship. And when I say worship, I mean overall, but also the special ordained times of worship that God has given us. Some churches are so excellent at worship experiences that somehow people end up just taking that as spiritual entertainment. Some churches become so dull and rote that people do just come out of duty because they're supposed to as Christians. We forget the specialness of worshiping with God's people on the Lord's day. We forget that we are bought by Jesus' blood and we worship in the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, it almost doesn't matter. All the arguments for worship wars and whether it should be this or that, it almost doesn't matter. What matters is worshiping as those who are born again in the Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit to worship God. Some might ask, can't we just worship God as individuals in our homes, in our cars, in nature? Why do we need to gather in this way every week? Of course you can worship in those ways. Of course you can. And we're meant to worship without ceasing, day by day, in every moment of our life. But the beauty and power of God's redemptive work is missed if we don't gather in this way to worship together as God's people. 
the body of Christ, the people of God, are meant to gather as different parts together every week to remember what God has done for us together. To remember who our God is, who our God is, what our God has done for us, and what our God wants to do in and through us. Our weekly worship together informs how we worship in the rest of our week. You know, many churches, intentionally or not, attract a specific demographic of society. And that could be socioeconomic, could be cultural, could be racial. It could be political. And certainly, we can be guilty of that as a church because it's just so hard to fight against this idea of being drawn to people who are like us. But I hope and pray that we can continue to fight to be a church where different people can come together to worship joined by the gospel of Jesus Christ, filled by the Holy Spirit to worship him. I really do hope that we can find a way where, again, young and old, rich and poor, progressive and conservative, black and white, and everything else in between and any other category of differences that we can come together through the gospel in the Holy Spirit to worship and serve God. Do you want to be here? Do you thirst for God? Do you want to worship God? Do you long to worship God together as God's people? Do you long to delight in God and to be delighted in by God? Do you thirst for God? And if the honest answer is no, it's okay in the sense that that's just where you're at. Ask and pray for God to stoke that desire in you to find Him, to delight in Him, to worship Him, to ask Him to reveal what is it that is stunting that desire to worship Him, to be filled by Him. You and all of us are created for worship, to worship Jesus Christ our Lord. And so just as this section tells us, shows us thirst for God, The second section teaches us to cry out to God, to cry out to God. And the narrative continues for the psalmist. He's far away from Jerusalem where the presence of God is promised, where where, where God promised to be in the temple of God. And in his mind, he wants to be there, but where he is is he's at the lush area of the Jordan's headwaters. And he's remembering these life-giving waters of the Jordan, lush area. But right now for him, it doesn't feel life-giving. Right now, it feels like God's waves are crashing over him. And he's overwhelmed by that. The psalm goes in that first section from him crying tears day and night to God's waves crushing him. And he hears again the the taunts of his enemies and they hit home particularly because he's asking the same question himself. Where is God? And so we hear this theme expressed Longing expressed in disappointment. Let's be honest. We're so afraid of disappointment. And we will go to great lengths to avoid disappointment. And if we are parents, we will go to even greater lengths to help our children avoid disappointment. If we have the power to do it, we will prevent them from experiencing disappointment. But we have to remember that 
in the end, it is futile. Because life in a broken world guarantees disappointment. No matter how great our faith, we understand we live in a broken world that will bring disappointment at some point. And the question is, how will you deal with disappointment? Gerald May, in the same book, Awakened Heart, says this, When the desire is too much to bear, we often bury it under frenzied thoughts and activities or escape it by dulling our immediate consciousness of living. It is impossible to run away from the desire for years. It is possible to run away from the desire for years, even decades at a time, but we cannot eradicate it entirely. It keeps touching us in little glimpses and hints in our dreams, our hopes, our unguarded moments. So a quick application question. When have you felt these questions in your own heart? Why have you forgotten me, God? Why, where are you, God? When have you felt like God has let you down? God has disappointed you. Do you cry out to God? Or do you distract yourself? Do you allow yourself to feel that pain of disappointment? Or do you numb out to that pain? Another way to ask is just, how have you suffered? How are you suffering even right now? Do you allow these questions of God? Where are you, O God? Why have you forgotten me? We have to, when it's appropriate, allow those questions to ruminate in our souls that we might find God more deeply. And I want to play you another song. A song called Top of the World, written by Patty Griffin, but this version is sung by Dixie Chicks. It's a song about a man who's given up. And you, you, you see the picture painted. A man who's given up. A man whose desire has died. And yet, the song has great longing to it. It is haunting, but there's great longing in it. It's a picture that's being painted where the songbird has stopped singing and yet the man longs for this songbird to sing again. Let me play this for you.
There's this lyric in there where paints this picture of a man sitting in a chair. He's called for supper and he doesn't get out of his chair. It just seems like such a powerful picture of someone who's given up. I can't even be bothered to go to supper right now. Too often we don't even allow ourselves to say to ourselves, I'm not doing well. Instead, we tell ourselves over and over again, I must power through. Somehow, I must power through. What if we just, for a few moments in our life, let ourselves say, I'm not doing well. What if we said that to the people closest to us? What if we said that to God? God, I'm not doing well. Isn't that what the psalmist is doing? He's just saying, I'm not doing well. Where are you, God? He's allowing himself to say that, to feel that. Many, many of us don't thirst for God because we don't allow suffering in our lives to stoke our thirst for God. We quickly bypass it. We power through it. We spiritualize it. We don't just cry out to God, I'm not doing well. I understand that 
so many have said that suffering is a barrier to knowing God. To believe that God is real, to believe that God is loving, to believe that God cares and is good and gives a hoot in our lives. But this psalm and many psalms and scripture and other places tell us that suffering can also point us to God. That suffering shows us we need to be broken and pointed to the one who will heal. That suffering points us that we need deliverance. That suffering shows us we are not masters of the universe like we think. That suffering shows us that meaning and purpose comes from God and cannot be manufactured by ourselves. That suffering shows us we need redemption from outside of ourselves. That we need to cry out to God to save us. Can you do that? Can you cry out to God the way the psalmist does? Let's see how he cries out in Psalm 43 verses 1 through 5 where we see him put his hope in God. And so in this section we see he he has cried out to God. He has expressed his longing as thirst. He's expressed his longing as disappointment. He has expressed his desperate condition and now he's petitioning to God, requesting of God that God will show to show him that God is the God of hope and that God will be the God that will lead him from absence from God to presence with God. He longs for that presence of God again. He wants to be vindicated from his enemies' taunts. Perhaps not so much to quiet his enemies, but to quiet the accusations in his own heart against God. Where are you, God? Why have you forgotten me? He wants God to answer his own doubts and questions. And so we see in this section a longing expressed in prayer, petitioning to God. And so the application for us is very simple. It it is prayer. It is that we pray in a way that we hope for God. Honest prayer. Honest to ourselves prayer and honest to God prayer. Prayer that is so honest that it is heartbreaking and that might, we might even consider as complaining to God. We've heard it said, do not complain to God. And yes, scripture says that. Yet I don't think we always know the difference between lamenting to God and complaining to God. Lamenting to God. Honest prayer that feels like complaining is a cry out to God for God to deliver to meet us in the midst of our suffering. Honest prayer that lays our hopes so vulnerably before God, so vulnerably that there's that fear. What if God doesn't answer this prayer? Then what? But it's honest prayer that also prays God's truth back to ourselves, asking the Holy Spirit to apply that truth to our hearts, Because that is what prayer is for as well. And it is why the psalmist says three times in this refrain, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's a prayer that we need to pray often. 
when we are cast down to say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then to pray, hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. George MacDonald says this in his book, The Diary of an Old Soul. He, re- he reminds us and calls us to awaken our hearts to God. When I can no more stir my soul to move and life is but the ashes of a fire, when I can remember that my heart once used to live in love, long and aspire, oh, be thou then the first, the one thou art, be thou the calling before all answering love and in me wake hope, fear, boundless desire. The truth is, is that Scripture teaches us God is the fulfillment of all our desires. And in this psalm, the psalmist is longing to be in the presence of God, longing to be in Jerusalem, longing to be in the temple, because that's where he believes intimacy with God is found, and that is what they were taught. Yet, it is different for us now. We don't have to go to the temple of God in Jerusalem anymore. We can't go to that temple of God in our own power. We have to go to the temple of God, which is Jesus Christ himself through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God the Father sent his son to be the light and the truth, which the psalmist talks about here in Psalm 43, to be the light and truth that leads us to the temple of God, to the presence of God, which is Christ himself. And so because Jesus is the temple of God and we through union with him have also become the temple of God, we don't need to long to be in Jerusalem anymore. We long instead for God to open our hearts up to see the glorious truth that the Spirit fills us, that we are the temple of God and the presence of God is with us. Yes, we may may feel absent from him, but he is right there. And so we thirst for him. So we cry out to him. So we ask him to give us hope. I end with this poem by St. John of the Cross, a Spanish mystic in the 1500s. It's called Dark Night. One dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, ah, the sheer grace. I went out unseen, my house being now all stilled. In darkness and secure by the secret ladder disguised. Ah, the sheer grace. In darkness and concealment, my house being now all stilled. On that glad night in secret, for no one saw me, nor did I look at anything with no other light or guide than the one that burned in my heart. This guided me, more surely than the light of noon, to where he was awaiting me. Him I knew so well, there in a place where no one appeared. O guiding night, O night more lovely than the dawn, O night that has united the lover with his beloved, transforming the beloved in her lover. Upon my flowering breast, which I kept holy for him alone, there he lay sleeping and I caressing him, there in a breeze from the fanning cedars. When the breeze blew from the turret, as I parted his hair, it wounded my neck with its gentle hand, suspending all my senses. I abandoned and forgot myself, laying my face on my beloved. All things ceased. I went out from myself, leaving my cares, forgotten among the lilies.
St. John of the Cross tells us so beautifully that we are God's beloved, that God is the fulfillment of all our desires. Thirst for God, cry out to God, hope in God. Let's pray.